Good morning. It's a super day, right? Nyah, 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 nyah. Uh, so glad you're here. Hey, if it's your first time, a special welcome to you. The, the ushers are going to come down. They're going to pass some books down. If you'd fill those out, that'd be great. Um, if you've been around a long time, if you'd fill those out too, that would be terrific. Um, and then we're going to have a chance to give in just a little bit. Um, it's, it is such a cool thing to be able to worship God by giving back to Him what He has blessed us with. Uh, I, I wanted to let you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do a special offering. Um, periodically, every three months or so, we do uh, what we call a benevolence offering. It's a, an offering on top of our regular offering that um, gives us a chance to give to help meet needs here within the body at North Point and here, right here in our local area. So people that, that maybe they are struggling, that, that need some extra help, um, we have the ability to be able to do that with just special offerings. So that's going to happen in a couple of weeks. Um, if you want to kind of plan ahead for that, uh, again, that's in addition to our regular offering, and, and uh, that would be a cool thing. We're going to do that. Two weeks from now, we start a new series. Uh, we'll finish with the, with the S Word series, and we start a new series called Living the Dream. How you doing? Just living the dream, man. Um, the, uh, it's going to come from the book of Philippians. So if you've got some time over the next couple of weeks, read through the book of Philippians, uh, maybe even several times, because it will... Uh, it'll prepare you for that, that series. I have been looking forward to speaking today because uh, as we started this series and began to talk about submission, I really just kind of got more and more excited about it because submission's a difficult thing, isn't it? Uh, over the last two weeks, there have been great conversations that have happened um, between individuals in some life groups. People have just really wrestled to try and struggle this concept to the ground and say, okay, what's it mean for us to submit? Uh, two weeks ago, I preached about submitting to the governing authorities. And that week, that Thursday night, I drove to Cincinnati to see my dad. And as I got in the car and pulled out of the driveway, I thought, Am I going to practice what I preach or not? And as I'm driving down the road, heading for Cincinnati, I thought, why is it such a struggle for us to submit? Why is it so hard for us to submit to church leaders when we think, ah, they don't know me? Why is it so hard to submit to our boss who's incompetent? Why is it so hard to submit to the governing authorities that seem like have it so messed up? Why is it so stinking hard to drive 70 miles an hour? You know why? It's because we all want to be in control, right? We want to set our course. We want to be the king of our world. And that's why this series is so important. It's a hard thing. And yet God calls us in all kinds of relationships. We've got one more week after today. Today we're talking about in the context of family life. Um, you know, it, it, it's taken me back when I was just chewing on that stuff. It took me back to the two truths that I've tried to communicate through the whole process. 
because we tend to rationalize and say, oh, I don't really have to submit in that situation. If God knew how bad my boss was, he wouldn't say submit to your authorities, right? If God knew that, that would never happen. Here's, here are the two things that, that we've hit each week. Submitting isn't submission if we agree with who's ever in charge of us. We're just doing what we want. That's not submission. And, and secondly, we choose to submit because we trust God, not because we trust that incompetent boss, not because we trust the government, not because we trust who, um, whoever it is, uh, the church leaders. We choose to submit because God is the one who put that system in place. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a big roller coaster fan. Anybody like roller coasters? Man, I, I love roller coasters. I grew up not far from Kings Island. Anybody know Kings Island? It rocks, man. Uh, and, and so grew up going to, on roller coasters, roller coasters, roller coasters. My favorite roller coasters are the ones that you start off, and as soon as it takes off, you're in the dark the whole time. I, there's one particular roller coaster that I love at Kings Island that I, that I love to ride it during the day, but at night when all the lights are out, it's just incredible. Because when you ride a roller coaster in the dark, you have absolutely no control, right? You don't know exactly when you're cresting the hill and when you're going to feel your stomach go up. You don't know what's going on, and you can only do one thing. You can only trust that the guy who designed the roller coaster knew what he was doing. And then you're not going to fly in because you can't see anything. You can't compensate. You can't, you're completely out of control. When God calls us to submit, he recognizes that for us, we're given up control. And all we can do is trust the one who designed the ride. The one who called us to say, submit to your leaders. Submit to the elders and deacons. Submit uh, to your boss today. Submit in the context of family. Let me, let me show you a picture. There's a, there's a guy that I actually know from back when I was a kid. Uh, his name's Gary Coleman. He's 73 years old. He's on the right-hand side. Uh, he has ridden the Diamondback roller coaster at Kings Island 12,000 times. That, that he passed 12,000 this past summer. That picture was taken, it was in USA Today, when he wrote it for the 7,000th time, all right? Uh, his personal best is 111 times in one day. Now, I wonder, when you ride a roller coaster that many times, does it become old hat? I, it, it's got to be cool every time, right? Because you trust, you trust the designer of the ride. You trust that even though you're out of control, somebody else is in control. That's the challenge for us. Um, we're going to be talking about submission in the context of family life today. If you've got your Bibles, take them out and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking about submission for now. Uh, today's the fourth week. In our life group, we talked this past Wednesday, and we said we were talking about the message, Chris's message last week, and said, you know, it's really kind of the same message over and over and over again. It's this message that we're supposed to submit and all these different relationships. Yeah, that's true, but it looks a little bit different in each relationship, and it's, it's difficult for us. The Duke of Windsor said this. 
as we get ready to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Duke of Windsor said this, the thing that impresses me most about America, about America is the way parents obey their children. The thing that impresses me most about America is the way that parents obey their children. The Duke of Windsor said that. Do you know who the Duke of Windsor is? Anybody know? Um, who's that? Um, actually, the Duke of Windsor is the guy who was the king of England for a year and then abdicated the throne so that he could marry uh, an American woman who was divorced. The king of England couldn't marry a divorced woman. So he gave up the crown in order to marry this woman. He said that in 1957. 1957. The thing that impresses me the most about America is the way parents obey their children. What would he say now? This is what Paul said as he wrote to the Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. To the Colossians, he wrote, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Warren Wearsby, a Christian writer, said, The modern version of this verse is, Parents, obey your children, for this will keep them happy and bring peace to your home. Um, sometimes we live out the Wearsby version rather than what Paul said. This concept of submission, it's important for us. The, today's message is really going to be twofold. It's a little bit harder for me in this service. First service, there's this group of about 30 teenagers that sit right over here. So if I come to you guys, pretend that you're teenagers, okay? Um, it's a little harder because there are kids in this service, and I want to I spend probably 10 minutes or so talking to children um, in the first part of this message and then come back and talk to adults. And if you're in a place that you don't have kids or you're single or your kids are gone, what I really want to encourage you to do is listen to this message, get the sermon-based questions after the message is done, and kind of go through them because they all really point to this uh, question to say, okay, if God is teaching that, what's that have to say for me? It may feel like today's message isn't a great fit for you, but I want you to hear it and then say, God, what are, what are you saying to me about this? Um, children, obey your parents. The first question that comes for us if you're a kid is, okay, who, who are children? You know, what's that? does that mean the little guys? Does that mean big guys? What's that mean? And the Greek word that's there is a word that describes offspring, anybody who has a mom and a dad. Um, it's not the word for little children. I think Paul would have written differently if he was talking to little children. But he says, expecting that in the church in Ephesus, in the church in Colossae, that, that there would be kids there that heard this admonition, children, obey your parents. Uh, one of the things that I've really kind of wrestled with through this whole preparation for this message is when I studied the scriptures, the number of scriptures that talked about, um, about obedience to parents and disobedience, lots and lots of scriptures seem to point to it not uh, just stopping when we're kids, when, when we're young but that it extends into adulthood. And I'm, I'm trying to process that to think, okay, how's that work? You'll see that through some of the scriptures, and if you do some study on your own, you'll, you'll see that as well. That 
that this call to obedience is, a, is kind of a lasting call. As I studied and said, okay, how do we know how that fits for us? I, it took me ultimately to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2.24 says this. Um, God said, for a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I think that the answer for, for when um, we stop being a child in, in, the, in the practice of, of this particular message, when, we're, when we get married, um, the obedience piece for us becomes secondary to the, to the relationship we have to our husband or wife. Um, if you're outside of the home, if you're paying your bills, if you're, uh, if you're living on your own, I think that, that, that the command that's there for us to say, obey your parents, that, that that takes on a different kind of a nature than it does when we're in, home, when, when we're in the home. Uh, you've heard parents say, we've all said, right? As long as you're in my house, You'll obey my rules. That's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good uh, premise for us when we're, when we're talking about this. So, children, obey your parents. Why do we need to obey? I think that there are four reasons, and I'm going to just kind of buzz through these really quickly. Um, the first is this, because God commanded it. God said, obey your parents. And if we're serious about having any kind of relationship with God, that should be enough for us. God says, obey your parents. So obey your parents. Kind of end of sentence, end of message, let's go home now, right? Obey your parents. God is the one who knows us, who, who designed us, who created us. And when he says obey, we need to obey. The, the Greek word there, uh, it has this sense of always be obeying. That's a continual process, that it's, that it's not selective, and then he gives a couple of things that, that I think help us. One is, he says, obey your parents because it's right. It's the right thing to do. Um, think about for a second, if kids only learned from their peers what life would look like. Have you ever been in an elementary school cafeteria? Uh, it's a messy place. Um, obeying our parents is the right thing to do because it gives us skills. It teaches us things that we couldn't learn from the people who are around us. Uh, to the church in Colossians, Paul says, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. If you're in here and you're a child, think for a second. You have the ability, you have the ability to make the God of the universe go, that's so cool. Because when we obey our parents, it pleases God. What kind of cool picture is that? Uh, it, it's right. It pleases God. God commands it. Um, the, the fourth reason is, uh, is just kind of a natural one. It's, it's this. If as children you don't obey you, your parents, if you can't learn to obey your parents, you'll never learn to obey God. Um, I remember when our girls were little, we had one particular daughter that I thought was going to grow up to be a lawyer because every time I'd give instructions, she'd say, oh, dad, no, 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 you don't know this, you don't know that. What about this? They, uh, all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses for why she didn't need to obey whatever instruction was coming. And, you know, a little bit of that goes a long way. Um, but... But I, I, re, I can remember really clearly when I recognized 
that there's going to come a day that that daughter stands before the God of the universe and stands in judgment. And if she goes into that time thinking, I can talk my way into heaven, I can make excuses for my bad behavior because I've trained her to do that, a worse thing couldn't happen. Children, if you don't obey your parents, you will never learn to obey God. Parents, if you don't teach your children to obey you, they will never learn to obey God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. It's a natural thing. And we've got to teach our kids out of our love relationship with them to obey us so that they can learn to obey God. Is obedience a big deal for God? Uh, think about that for a second. In, in our culture, it's kind of, yeah, so that what? They're disobedient. It's not that big a deal. Um, let me just say this very clearly. Obedience in Scripture is an in incredibly important issue. Um, it, it was a death issue in the Old Testament. God gave clear instruction to the Israelites about how to carry the Ark of the Covenant, the, the cabinet that carried the Ten Commandments in it, the showbread in it. And um, at one point, the Israelites are moving the Ark of the Covenant, and, and the guys kind of stumble, and the Ark starts to fall. And one of the guys who's there reaches out to steady the Ark of the Covenant, thinks he's doing a, a good thing. But God had been very clear and expressly said, you're not to look in the, in the ark and you're not to touch it. And as soon as he touched the ark, God struck him dead. God had given clear instruction. He disobeyed. And God took his life as a result of it. Um, there's uh, the scripture in the Old Testament that talks about if you've got an a disobedient child that lives this pattern of disobedience, that the, that the result of that is that you bring them to the elders of the city and ultimately, if they don't repent, that you stone this particular person. The, the picture that, that's there is probably that this is an adult, not a kid, but, that, but they're characterized by disobedience. In the New Testament, it's amazing to me when you start to think about how important obedience is. Listen, listen to Paul's letter to Timothy. His second letter to Timothy in chapter 3, it says this. Understand this, in the last days there will, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Do you get this picture that in that list, being disobedient to your parents is a bad, bad thing? Paul writes to the Romans, chapter 1, he says this, since people didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, 
foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Disobedience is a big deal in God's kingdom. It's not something that we can rationalize away. It's not something that we can laugh at. It's a life and death issue. Not only are we supposed to obey our parents, we're supposed to honor them as well. There's a difference between obedience and honor. Obedience is the action. Honor is the attitude. It's the way that we do it. Obedience is what we do. Honor reflects our heart and how we do it. But both are commands. Um, why are we to honor? Same deal as, the, as obedience. God commanded it. One of the Ten Commandments, Fourth Commandment, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Two other reasons why, why we're to honor our parents, that it may go well with you. Your life will be better if you obey your parents. Your life will be better if you obey your parents. Why? Because they have more experience. They can see things that you, that, that you can't. They were young and stupid once and carry the scars. Anybody say, yeah, that's me. That you may, that it may go well with you. Why honor them that it may go well? And, and the last thing, that it's a commandment with the promise that you may live long on the earth. Understand that that's not a guarantee. There's, there's not in this scripture this sense that, oh, if I always obey my parents, I'm going to live to be 90. It's not that at all. It's more of a, of a, a perspective kind of a, a, a thing that says, if you do what your parents say, if you obey your parents, you'll be protected from nasty consequences. If you listen to your parents, you'll be protected from bad things that could happen. A child who obeys when their parents say, don't play in the street, will live longer than a child who disobeys their parents when they say, don't go play in the street. Honor. Honoring your parents is about an attitude of our heart. Exodus 20 says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Kids, children, if you're here, if you're listening for the benefit of your kids, understand that God calls us to honor our parents. That can be a hard thing to do if you've got parents that don't know God, if you've got parents that are difficult to live with. And yet God calls us to obey and to honor them, to trust him for that submission that comes for us. Uh, let me just throw this out for parents, but if you're kids, particularly if you're a teenager in here, listen to this because this is all about that attitude. Sometimes parents give instruction and kids obey the instruction, but they do it with a stinky attitude, you know, with the eye roll, yeah, whatever, do that kind of thing. Write this down. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17 says, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother. That's that eye roll, that whatever attitude. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. 
good bedtime reading, right? <laughs> what's, that, what's that proverb say? It says that your heart matters. It's not just about obedience. It's about honoring your parents as well. If you have bad parents, make a choice to honor them, to speak well of them. Um, choose to do that even if they've made life difficult for you. Honor them, honor them, honor them. Uh, let me shift gears, shift gears and, and begin to talk to parents now. So if you're a kid, you can kind of tune out at this point. Parents, tune back in, get there. Paul, Paul says to the Ephesians, children, obey your parents and the Lord, this is right. Honor your father and mother, first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers or parents, that word fathers can be used for both parents. Do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To the Colossians, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. What's it mean to provoke your kids? It means to make them angry, to build in their heart this sense of resentment, of frustration, of bitterness that grows there. Uh, some of the versions translate that word exasperate. Don't exasperate your kids. I can remember growing up, my older sister saying to my dad, dad had given some instruction, my older sister saying, dad, you're exasperating me. And dad would say, you know what it says right before that? Obey your, obey your parents, obey your father. Um, that exasperation, that provoking is not just, oh, I don't want to do this. It's this sense that, that attacks their heart that destroys what's inside them, that, that works on what's going on uh, inside. Let me give you just a list of a bunch of things. I'm, I'm going to give you a whole bunch, and, and let me just encourage you to take two or three and really kind of chew on them, whatever they are. Maybe ultimately have a conversation with your spouse, with your kids. How do we provoke our kids to anger? How do we, um, how do we uh, exasperate our kids? Inconsistent discipline is, I think, a huge deal. When a, when a kid comes home from school and they know that they forgot to take the trash out or whatever, but they don't know what the response is going to be, they don't know if the parents are just going to look the other way, they don't know if they're going to get a spanking, they don't know if they're going to get yelled at, they don't know if they're going to have all of their electronics taken away for a month, uh, they don't know if their mom or dad is just going to berate them. That inconsistent discipline creates this sense of frustration in a kid. They need a system. They need rules. They need to have clarity that if I do this, this is what the response is going to look like. They've got to have that. Otherwise, it'll destroy their heart. Neglect is another area that provokes kids to anger. When, when, we, um, when we separate ourselves from our kids and they become an afterthought in our lives, uh, even with little kids, sometimes parents can choose to, to break the relationship with their child and it, and it destroys them. I, you know, when I hear parents say, oh, I can't bear to look at you. Those are tough, tough words because that, that separation that comes, that neglect is, is difficult. Another thing, physical cruelty, um, what, what I would describe as disproportionate discipline for the action of, of the child. You know, when a, when a 
kid knocks a uh, glass of milk over on the table and, th and they get punished excessively for that, it destroys their heart, provokes them to anger, physical cruelty, disproportionate discipline. Um, bitter words when parents speak um, angrily at, at the child, directed at the child, those bitter words destroy a child's heart. Unrealistic expectations, academically, athletically, sometimes even when we expect them to do things that we haven't taught them to do, that pressure that comes, can, can, it can break a child's spirit. Um, now, I know this wouldn't be true of any of you, but there are lots of parents who look at little Johnny and say, you know what, that kid that kid is going to excel incredibly in sports. And so they put this pressure on for that child to learn um, the, the physical skills necessary. But that what they're really challenging them to do is to be the best player on their team so that they can make the travel team and be the best player on the travel team so that ultimately they can, they can excel in high school or in AAU, whatever, get a, a college scholarship, and the pressure that a child feel, feels when all they want to do is just play the game is oppressive. It, it breaks their spirit. When a parent says, you know what, you've got to get a perfect score on your ACT or SAT or you'll never get into college. And they begin to preach that over and over again. If you don't get straight A's, your, your worth as a kid is not going to make it. That provokes a child to anger. It exasperates them. Absence of encouragement, no approval, no affirmation, no praise, no celebration when they do anything well. A kid, a kid will feel like, what's the use? If nobody notices when I do what I'm supposed to do, what's the use? Failing to recognize the development of your child and the changing role of the parent. Let me say this uh, just real clearly. When a child is 10 years old, but their parents treat them like a three or four year old, that's devastating. When a child is 16 or 18 and their parents treat them as though they're 12, it tears them apart. It exasperates them. It provokes them to anger. One last thing, when we fail as parents, when we fail to sacrifice for our kids, our kids grow up with this sense that they're an extra, that they're an intrusion in our lives, that they're a burden. And when we do that, they will resent us. If I were to go the positive way, and I'll get there in a second, I would just say this to parents, it's so important that your kids recognize what should be the most natural act in the world, and that's for you to sacrifice for your kids. It's not to make them the ruler of the universe, but it's to, for them to recognize that because you love them, you're willing to give up a game on TV. You're willing to give up this particular aspect of what you may want to do in order to spend time with them and to love on them. If you look at that list I want you to recognize something. None of those things that are up there are godly qualities. 
None of those things are the fruit of the Spirit. That's Satan working in us as parents. And, and they, those things, even if they're inadvertent, they will exasperate our kids. They will provoke them to anger. So, let's turn the corner. How do we make it easy for our kids to submit? How do we make it easy for them to obey? When I was approaching this message, this is the section I wanted to get to, to say to parents, what can we do to make obedience attractive for our kids? Let me, let me give you some things again. Um, just as a foundation, it all starts with our relationship with God. It all starts with our love for Jesus. When they see that ooze out of our pores, when they see that uh, fill in our life 24 seven, um, that makes a huge difference. But there's some practical things we can do as well. Um, first practical thing is, is this, love your spouse. Make the choice to love your spouse and to let your kids see you love your spouse. Hold their hands, kiss them, hug on them, do it, and your kids will say, ooh, gross. You know, when they're little, they think that's kind of cool. Once they hit teen years, it's like, come on, mom and dad, get a room, just go away. Do not kiss her out in front of my friends. Love your spouse. When we demonstrate our love for each other in front of our kids, it gives them this sense of safety and it, and it creates in them a desire to obey. Second thing, have a united front. If you want to make it easy for your child to obey, it's critically important that you and your spouse have a united front, even if you disagree that you have a united front. Because if that child knows, dad said no, but I can go to mom and mom will say yes, um, what's the benefit for them to obey? If, if they know that they can play one against the other, obedience is not very attractive because they can disobey really easily. But if we have a united front, even if we, if we have a united front, it makes obedience attractive. Um, I don't have this up on the board, so you can just kind of write it in. Uh, this morning when I was running through the message one last time, I thought, oh, goodness, i got to say this. Own your mistakes. Own your mistakes as a parent. Don't be afraid to talk to your kids and say, you know what, I messed up. I punished you inappropriately. It was your sister, not you. I'm sorry about that. Own your mistakes, and, and when necessary, ask for forgiveness from your kids. When you do that, your kids say, will say, I want to obey mom and dad. I want to, because they want what's best for me. Uh, number three, uh, speak well of authority. You know, it's funny in the context of this whole series on submission, the number of conversations that I've heard of people saying about the government, about their boss or their situation at work, about leaders at church. It is no surprise that your kids don't want to obey when you speak poorly of those who are authority in your life. It's critical that in our home, 
we speak well of authority because God commanded us to, to pray for those leaders. And we've got to do it. The, the next thing goes right along with it. We've got to model what that looks like. We've got to model submission, not just talk it. We need to be able to have the conversation at the dinner table and say, you know what? Here's what my boss told me to do today. I don't think that that's the right thing to do, but I'm doing it because he's my boss. And being able to model that. When we choose to obey authorities in our lives, we set the stage for our children to be able to obey and to submit to us as well. Number five, don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism or compare to others. Uh, let, me, let me just say to you as parents, think about how devastating it is to be a child at their birthday when there's been a huge party for their siblings, when they had their birthday, and your birthday comes and maybe you get a card. That inequity that happens in that destroys them. How do you want to make it easy for them to obey? Be fair. Be fair. Be fair. Um, Deb and I have six kids. You know, it's hard because every kid is different and you've got to respond to them differently. You've, you've got to parent a little bit differently. But you've got to have this foundational concept to, to say that we're not going to show favoritism to one. We're not going to um, compare to, to another. Words of death in a family are to say, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you do that? Your sister could do it. Why can't you do that? That's that comparison thing. Um, it doesn't make obedience very attractive. But when there is this sense, when you have the question, anybody had this question, mom and dad, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite? When the kids have a clear sense, we're all their favorites. You know, both of us, all six of us, they love us all. They love us all equally. It, it, um, that makes obedience attractive. Um, number six, uh, teach first-time obedience. Uh, say what you mean, mean what you say. Let, let me just kind of talk through that for a second. Um, if you've got little guys... If you think back to when you had little guys or when you were a little guy, you knew exactly where the threshold was, where the push button was, where mom and dad meant what they say, right? You knew when they said, um, you knew if they said be home at 6 o'clock, whether they meant 6 o'clock or whether they meant 6.15 or 6.30. You knew as a kid when they said pick up your truck, if they meant pick up your truck, or if they meant that what was going to happen was they said, pick up your truck, you kept playing. And they said, I said, pick up your truck. You kept playing, but you looked at them. They said, I said, pick up your truck. Am I going to have to count to three? And he kept playing. They would go through the process of counting to three. By the time they got to three, the parent goes ballistic, and that's the point that the child picks up the truck because they know that it's not until that time that the parent is really serious about the instruction. If a child knows, and again, if think back to childhood, we all knew where the, where the push point was with our parents. If a child knows that, it makes all the sense in the world to have that be the first bit of instruction that we give, the first time we give it. 
that, that we call them to first-time obedience because God calls us to first-time obedience. He is a gracious God, and he is forgiving, but when he gives a command, it's not, ah, when you get around to it, it'll be okay. He expects us to obey first time. Uh, number seven, don't, don't overprotect. Um, allow your children to feel the pain of bad decisions and allow them to fail. Um, I, I taught four years at a Christian college in Joplin, Missouri, and uh, the first class I taught, one of the students, I remember real clearly, one of the students didn't do the work, flunked the test, failed, failed the class. Two weeks after the grades came out, the, the, the student's father came in to talk to me and asked me to change the grade of the student and said, oh, you know, they were going through all this stuff. Is there any way that you can change the grade from an F to a D? That first year, Deb and I had conversations because it was painfully clear to be able to see kids who had never experienced failure in their lives that came to college. They didn't know what to do when they got a poor grade on a test. They didn't know what to do when, um, when a paper was due and they missed that due date and they failed as a result of that. Allow your children to fail in the context of your home so that they have that skill about how to deal with failure ready to go for the rest of their life. Don't overprotect them. Don't shield them from that pain. Give them the ability to fail and fail often and be loved in that process. Uh, give progressive responsibility and freedom. It's so important to have a path set forward so that when a child is two, they've got certain responsibilities and certain freedoms. When they're five, they've got greater responsibilities, greater freedom. When they're 12, they've got greater responsibilities, greater freedom. When they're 18, they've got greater responsibilities and greater freedom. One of the things that as a minister has broken my heart has, to see, has, has been to see kids go away to college that have been in very restrictive environments, go to college and have absolute freedom and not know what to do with it and fall off the deep end because they've never had the sense of progressive freedom in their life that came with progressive responsibility. Last thing, encourage, affirm, celebrate. Doesn't matter what it is, do something to throw parties with your kids. Um, uh, find a way to do it. At our house, one of our big celebration things that we do is that we run to McDonald's and get an ice cream cone. You know, it costs a buck, um, but we go and after a choir concert, we go get an ice cream cone. And when grades come out, pretty much regardless of what the grades are, we get an ice cream cone. Uh, you know, there, there, there is this sense that you need to affirm and celebrate and, uh, and encourage your kids. Um, those are ways to help make it easier for them to submit. Um, Paul's real clear. He says, um, fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline are rules, regulations. Instruction is verbal teaching. Everything happens in the context of Deuteronomy 6 that, that God's laws, that the nature of God is integrated into every aspect of our life. Why do you study school? Because God is the one who, who gives us um, uh, the ability to learn. God is the one who equips us with tools. And so our, our 
academic life is a reflection on our relationship with God. What we do on the sports field is a, re a reflection on our relationship with God. Everything is integrated in the discipline and instruction. In Rome, there was, uh, there was a, a doctrine that was called patria potestas. Patria potestas. Basically, it meant the, it was the power of the father. In the Roman times, the father could do anything with his family. The father had the ability to sell his children into slavery if he so, cho so chose. He could just do it. He said, you know what, I need some money, sell on this kid. Didn't like him anyway. They could do that. The father had the ability to say to the children, you're going to work in the shop, you're going to work in the fields 12, 15 hours a day, and the kids couldn't do anything. There weren't child protective services that would come in and intervene. The father was king of the family. The father could even condemn a child to death. They had the ability to execute that punishment within the Roman law, the power of the father. It was in that context that Paul wrote to followers of Jesus and said, parents, fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Don't provoke them to anger. Do you understand how counterculture that was? When Jesus came, he turned everything upside down, everything upside down. He changed the way that families worked. He did say, children, obey your parents. But he said, parents, don't exasperate your, your kids. Understand this as we, as we finish. This message is in direct contrast to the culture that we live in. The media paints a picture of inept parents at every turn. Fathers that are distant, that are disconnected, that, that don't know what's best for their kids. Mothers who are off doing their own thing, working two jobs, you know, all that kind of stuff. Educators communicate parents don't know what they're doing with their kids. That's a, that's a part of the culture that we live in. Don't let it be so in your home. Parents, don't buy into the cultural expectations. Fathers, mothers, be involved. Invest in your kids. Love them. Make it easy for them to obey. Kids, if you're still with me, understand that God's teaching to you is clear. Obey your parents. Let's, let's pray. Father, Help us. I just ask that you'd help us. Um, God, we hear this message. We look at your word, and some of it just, uh, we look and think, man, I have failed so badly. Come in and minister your grace, Lord. Empower us. Fill us with your spirit that we can do better as parents. God, help us to expect, to teach, to train our kids to obey so that they can obey you that we might stand before you holy and blameless because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.